Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. One has to go. You are more than welcome to keep your children, but just in case, again, the nature of the subject, we want to... I really respect you as a parent on those precious, delicate ears that we appreciate you. And I'm going to wait just a moment because my opening could be very sensitive to our precious kiddos. It's okay. So I don't know if you have been paying attention, but just a few weeks ago in Missouri, Zachary Wilmore, who is a biological male who is gay and dresses like a female, won the homecoming queen at Rockbridge High School. This is the first time in our nation's history that a male has won homecoming queen. Not too long ago, though, someone set the stage for the direction he is going. In 2016, a very famous and accomplished athlete, Bruce Jenner, came out as transgender, was dressed as a woman and made the cover of Vanity Fair and wants the world to call him Caitlyn. So we're in this final message in our series, Biblical Wisdom for Cultural Concerns, and this morning, as you can already tell, we're going to be covering a subject that some struggle with and that many find themselves dealing with through family members or friends or coworkers. For some, the subject is very painful, and for some of you, it's very personal. I'm going to say some things that may seem offensive today. I just want you to know that the gospel of Jesus is offensive. But Steve Brown hopes not to be. I want you to know that if you're here this morning and you struggle with same-sex attraction, if you're confused about your gender, if you don't even know what your sexual identity is, period, I want you to know that you're loved and that you matter right in your struggle. At the same time, my job is to declare the truth of God's Word, and God's Word flies right in the face of what the world has to say about this subject. So before you tune me out when you hear something that's offensive, please hear me all the way to the end. I know that my heart is not to condemn you, My heart is to share truth with you so that you can be free. So really, what does the Bible say about sexual identity? How can the followers of Jesus respond according to the Scriptures? How can we respond with compassion instead of judgment? How can we take the things that people are in and find ways to redeem them? We're going to be in numerous places in the Scripture this morning, but I think that we need to start where the Bible starts. The very first chapters of the Bible 
are absolutely crucial in understanding what's at stake. The first couple of chapters of Genesis form the framework of who God is. They also tell us who we are. They tell us what condition we're in. And they also tell us the greatest need that we have. Yet at the same time, they project the greatest solution to our need. Again, we will be in several places today, but I want us to start in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. I wonder if you would stand to your feet with me as we read from God's holy, inerrant, inspired, infallible word. Hear the word of the Lord in Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle and all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Would you pray with me? Father, again, I pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things from your law. I pray, God, for those who may struggle, those who may be confused, those who are completely opposed, that today they would find hope and freedom in Jesus. And I pray it in his name. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to cover for you this morning, based on God's word, five realities concerning sexual identity. The first one is simply this, that God creates with a personal touch. God creates with a personal touch. Here's the simple truth. That you and I did not just happen, or you and I just didn't come to be. Very loving, very sovereign God made each and every one of us. Verse 26, the Bible says that God created mankind. God created all of humanity, but he said, let us create man. That's interesting. Who is the us? Well, it's the Trinity. The triune God, the one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That God made us. But what I want you to take particular note this morning is that God's personal touch in making humans is different from how he created everything else in creation. When God created all the rest of the parts of creation, it kind of went like this. God said, let there be, and it was. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, I'll just give you a couple. Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. In verse 11, God said, and let the earth spread with vegetation and and such and such. And it was so. In verse 14, then God said that there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. And it was. In verse 24, the Bible tells us, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. And it was. 
But when it came to making humans, God put his personal touch on that one. Verse 26 of chapter 1, God said, And let us make man in our image. He didn't say that about any other part of creation. Now, we share in God's nature. That's a part of what it means to be in his image. And that's not given to anything else except humans. As I said in a message a couple of weeks ago, that the image of God means one thing at least, and that is it means that we can know God and we can be known by God. We can have a relationship with God and he can have a relationship with us, but it also means some other things. It means that because God is truth, you and I can know truth. That God is wise, therefore you and I can become wise. That God is love, therefore we can know and experience love. That God is holy, therefore we can become holy. It means so much to be created in His image. You need to know that we have been created by His personal touch. But then in verse 27, the Bible says something interesting. God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That, that's a Hebrew word, that word created. It's the word bara. It means to take something that has never been before and to cause it to come into existence. This is the ex nihilo for those who want some theological terms, but what it means is, is to create out of nothing. Only God is the subject of the verb to create. You see, what we do is we take things that God has already made and we kind of repurpose them. But only God can take nothing and make something out of it. God is the only one that can take something which didn't exist and make it exist, and that's what he did with human beings. He created each one of us in our mother's womb. We covered this a couple of weeks ago. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14, say this, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Let me say this a little differently. Evolution, random chance, or forces of the universe did not create you. Why is this so important? Please stay with me. This is so important because if you believe in evolution, random chance, or some other form of creation of how you got here, then you will by natural cause believe that you are sovereign over your body and how you get to make choices for your body. But if you believe, and it is true, that God created you, then God owns you and God establishes the rules for humanity. This is critical to understand that God has made you and God is sovereign and has authority over what it means to be male and female. So God creates with a personal touch, but then secondly, God creates with a particular type. God creates with a particular type. Look back in verse 27. The last part says, male and female, he created them. 
In making humans, God created us and gave us a particular sexuality and gender. For one thing, this means that both males and females have equal standing before God. Neither has lesser value. But something more apparent is is that there is a real distinction between males and females. There's no changing this, and there are no other options on the planet. God has created and designed these distinctions. We are clearly only biologically male or biologically female. Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 through 25 say it this way. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In other words, God made us different that he might make us one. We are complementary to each other. We are made for each other. Male and female are the only ones that are supposed to come together. We are made different that God may make us one. So let's flesh this out just a little, no pun intended. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5, Jesus picks up on this. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning? That's so important. Because our theology is not driven by culture, which cultures can change. Our theology is driven by the very first thing that happened. So this can't be about what you think, what this thinks. This has to be about what transcends culture, and that was creation. So have you read from the beginning, made them male and female, and said for this reason, the passage that we just read. Jesus here continues to emphasize the permanence and priority of marriage between only a biological man and a biological woman. God's plan for marriage is between a man and a woman. It's not for a man and a man. It's not for a woman and a woman. It's not for a man who identifies as a woman and a woman. It's not for a woman who's been surgically altered in some way and a woman, etc., etc. Marriage is not a social construct. It's a covenant created by God. Therefore, God's plan includes sexual intimacy only between biological males and biological females in marriage. God's plan is holy. God's plan is beautiful. The man and the woman were naked and unashamed. So therefore, we can see concerning sexual identity that God made humans in his image with his personal touch. God made us distinct from one another, male and female. He made us with a particular type. Our sexual identity is only male or female and happened at conception and was readily apparent at birth. And even now with technology, we can find out your sex in the womb through sonograms. God provided marriage between a man and a woman as the exclusive relationship for sexual expression and identity. 
Therefore, we must know that when we leave these boundaries, we violate nature and God's purpose for his creation. When we stray away from these distinctions, there are some very real and painful consequences. According to the new gender ideology that would be taught to your children in this culture, gender is not a matter of a person's biological sex. In this culture, sex and gender are two very different things. One's biological sex is not something that I can change. But gender is because gender in this culture is something that's based on how I feel and how I experience my sexual identity. Gender is fluid in this culture. That is what is at the center of this LBGTQ on and on at revolution. But as followers of Jesus, you and I look to the word, not to what the world says. From a biblical standpoint, hear me and hear me well. I'm not trying to convince anyone. I'm just delivering the news. From a biblical worldview, there is no distinction between gender and sexual identity. You were born a male and your sexual identity and gender are only and always will be male. You were born a female, and your sexual identity and your gender will always be female, no matter what you do to your body or the drugs that you take or the pronouns you choose to be called. It's pretty simple. If you are born with XY chromosomes, you are a boy. You don't have to decide if you're a boy. Your parents don't have to wait to decide if you would choose to be a boy. As a matter of fact, you cannot decide not to be a boy. You are a boy. If you were born with two X's in your chromosomes, you are a girl. You don't have to decide if you're a girl. You don't have to wait if, if your parents to decide if you would choose to be a girl. As a matter of fact, you cannot decide that you are not a girl. You are always going to be a girl. Listen, this is just biologically fact. The proper response then is not to try to change my identity, not to try to alter my identity, not to try to desire something than what is, to pretend that I'm something that I'm not, to give over to my sinful desires to be different, the right response is what we've already read from Psalm 139, 14. I will give thanks to you, watch, that I have been fearfully and wonderfully made a male or a female. And for that, wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My response in this culture to try to fit in is not to try to fit in. My response is to say, God, this is how you made me, and I will accept it, not try to change it. 
You are an all-loving God and you don't make mistakes, have been fearfully and wonderfully made, male or female. God creates with a personal touch. And God creates with a particular type. But let's deal with the nitty-gritty. Sin causes a perverted tragedy. You see, we're experiencing human brokenness and what's happening because of sin. Sin has entered the world and taken what was good and perverted it to now we have a tragedy. So turn with, your, with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. This is one of the darkest portions of the entire Bible. This talks about what happens when men turn from God and turn to sin. Remember that I said when we turn against God's laws, there are going to be some very harsh consequences. When we violate God's design and plan for creation as male and female, there will be some serious consequences. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says it this way, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. When the Bible talks about God's wrath, it simply can mean this, that this is when God removes His restraining power because of sin. You see, people reject God, and they know the truth, but they willfully ignore and suppress the truth. That's what's happening with this debate in our culture. We know the truth, but we will willfully ignore and suppress the truth. And as a result, the Bible says that God gives us over to our own thinking, our own desires, our own sin, our own depravity. But here's something that I want you to pay close attention to. From the physical point of view, the depths of the brokenness and sin in our lives are revealed in sexual perversions. If you want to know how bad sin is, look to sexual perversion. That's what the Scripture says. Because in Romans 1, verses 24 through 27, it says this, Therefore God gave them over and the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged their natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. God begins to give us up. He executes His wrath. He removes His restraining power. 
These verses tell us that homosexual sin is an illustration of the depths of human depravity. This is not because homosexual sin is the worst sin, but because homosexual sin is so very unnatural. In other words, this type of sin not only goes against God, but it goes against nature itself. Sin will take you so far down the road that you will even go against what nature tells you is wrong. Look at verse 26 and 27 again. For this reason, God gave us over to degrading passions. For women exchange what was natural for something that is unnatural. The men also abandoned what was natural for the unnatural. Do you not see it? Here in Romans, homosexuality is emphasized because it was so common. Greek culture taught that homosexual love was the purest and highest form of love. Many upper class Greeks maintained male lovers along with their wives. In Rome, 14 of the first 15 Roman emperors were homosexuals. Just as it was then, so it is now. There are strong, strong, even governmental pressures to conform, to make this lifestyle normal, moral, and praiseworthy. But can I tell you, God says it's not even natural for this to happen. God says this is sin. And it's not only sin against God, it's even a sin against nature itself. In other words, if you could say it in a sentence, this is not only immoral, it's unnatural. Again, this lifestyle shows how far sin will take you. It will take you so far that you will begin to say in your human physiology that I will do whatever I feel like doing, even though I know that it's wrong and unnatural. Here's what's really at the heart of all that's happening in our culture over gender and over homosexuality and over love is love. We have suppressed the truth of God. We have turned from God, and he has now given us over to our sinful desires. So much so that now we will even violate our conscience to do what even nature says is wrong. So doctors, surgeons, lawmakers continue to try to justify that changing your gender is okay even when they know it's not. Even when they know, even when a surgeon and a doctor knows that it is impossible to make a female a male just by changing parts. They know that it is impossible to change a male to a female by just giving injections and taking drugs. That's not how it works. In Ephesus, in your Bible, in the book, in Ephesians, in Ephesus, they would have referred to this doctrine that we're dealing with as the law of the autonomous self. In other words, I do whatever I want to do. You've probably heard it this way. It's my body. It's my choice. 
Our culture has accepted the view that the human is sovereign in his thinking and his behavior because we have turned from how we believe that God created us to now we're the products of evolution, and now you can see where the problem lies. We've decided that I can do whatever I want to do, especially with my body, with my gender, with my partners. It's okay, and no one should ever say that I am wrong. Nobody should tell me that it's harmful. As a matter of fact, what we should do is celebrate. But this is not of God, beloved, and it leads to really bad consequences. Watch how our culture has progressed what I call the downward spiral of moral compromise. There's a process by which things are, happen. I want you to see how something that once was unthinkable now becomes unquestionable. There's a process by which this happens. At one point in our country and around the world, same-sex marriage was unthinkable. Absolutely unthinkable. And after time, it began to be debatable. What are the pros and what are the cons? After it becomes debatable, it soon becomes tolerable. After it becomes tolerable, it becomes acceptable. After it becomes acceptable, it becomes commendable. After it becomes commendable, now it becomes unquestionable. And our culture has taken one step further. After it becomes unquestionable, now it becomes punishable. So what used to be unthinkable, now if you stand against it, you will be punished. This is where we're at in our country. Today, if you speak out like I'm doing, and I expect it will come, I'm not trying to hurt or offend anyone. I, God has given me a task to be faithful to this book, no matter who says different, no matter what it costs me. I am not trying to offend you. I'm trying to free you. But today, by preaching this book and making this argument, I will be told and you will be told that you are on the wrong side of history, that I am hateful, that I am a bigot, and that I am homophobic. And it doesn't matter how much I love and how much I care. That will be what will be said of me. If I say and speak out, you say and speak out against this, you will be labeled a hater. Dr. Paul McHugh is a medical doctor. He's a distinguished professor of psychiatry at John Hopkins Medical School and a former psychiatrist in chief at John Hopkins Hospital. He is the one that began the gender reassignment surgery program at that hospital. And he did so before he determined that it was morally and medically wrong. Once he thought about it, he said this is morally and medically wrong, so he terminated the program. Here's what he said, and I quote, the idea that one's sex is fluid and a matter open to choice runs unquestioned through our culture and is reflected everywhere in the media, the theater, the classroom, and in many medical clinics. It has taken on many cult-like features. 
its own special lingo. Internet chat rooms providing slick answers for new recruits. Clubs for easy access to dresses and styles supporting sex changes. But here's what he says. It is doing incredible damage to families, adolescents, and children and should be confronted as opinion without biological foundation wherever it emerges. Beloved, what he's saying is that, that this goes against nature in even simple biology. This is a perverted tragedy. This is how a culture starts calling good evil and evil good. God's commands are never to hurt us. They're always to protect us. They're great demonstrations of his love for us. He tells us what to do and what not to do because he knows what will happen. He doesn't want us to be hurt. He doesn't want us to be broken. And it's true, when we refuse to turn to God, we will turn to all kinds of other things. But then we will experience greater pain and brokenness. But as I begin to close, can I tell you this, that the brokenness we experience can be mended. Perverted tragedies can be mended. Augustine, who lived a very sinful lifestyle, one of the great saints of the church, he wrote these words, You have made us for yourself, O God, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. I want you to know today that God creates with a personal touch. He creates with a particular type. And sin causes a perverted tragedy. But can I tell you this? Jesus causes a powerful transformation. Jesus causes a powerful transformation. Those who struggle with gender, those who struggle with homosexuality, those who are here today listening to the sound of my voice, who think that they may have a same-sex attraction your need for Jesus is the same need that any person on the planet has. And that simply is the need to bring any of our sin and all of our sin to Jesus and be transformed by His grace. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Take your Bibles into 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll begin reading in verse 9. The Bible says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Listen to these words. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those dudes on your high school campus who are a little more effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Do you see it? Homosexuality is on this list, but can I remind you, it's not the only thing that's on this list. If you're a homosexual or you've had a gender change, listen to me, it's not a sickness. The Bible says it's sin. But before you turn me off, please hear me. 
By you understanding that these choices and these lifestyles is sin, that ought to be really good news. Because while all sickness can't be cured, all sin can be forgiven. All sin. All sin can be forgiven and cleansed and redeemed by Jesus because verse 11, here's our hope. But such were some of you. (laughs) You were washed. But you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Did you know that? He says, that's what you were. Paul holds this list out and says that that's what some of us were like. Some of us were adulterers. Some of us were greedy. Some of us were fornicators. Some of us were drunkards. And he even says, yes, some of us were effeminate or some of us were even homosexuals. But God says, that's what you were. We may struggle still, but we've been forgiven. And one of the greatest tragedies is that we believe that people can only be saved out of what we think are really bad sins. We may brought into the thinking that salvation is really just for churchy people who come from nice families with small struggles and misdeeds. But the truth is, is that any sin is just as gross as that sin to God. When you lie, it's just as sick to God as when you ask another man out on a date if you're a man. The truth is, is that Jesus, Jesus can save. Even if you come from the darkest background, from the most abusive family, from the darkest of all addictions, from a heinous crime, from a filthy or shameful past, from the most perverse immorality, Jesus can save you and transform you and you can leave today. That's what I was, but it's not who I am. God says that through his grace, whatever it is you have, bring it. Because Jesus died for you and rose for you. Jesus will receive you, forgive you, clean you, make you right with him, and indwell you from the inside out. You will experience transformation. Beloved, can I just tell you, anybody know what a VW Beetle is? Anybody know what those things are? I've got a few. Well, I'm going to show you one. This here is a Volkswagen Beetle. Some of you are like, well, they don't look like one. You know, VW Beetles, man, what was really cool was the engine was in the back. So you could get this this conversion kit, and you could attach it and make it look like a Rolls Royce. Have you ever seen a Rolls Royce? You know that's not a Rolls Royce. If that VW Bug was really going to be a Rolls Royce, it'd have to go back to the factory. Have to get all the parts melted down, and it'd have to be recast and remade from the inside out to look like a Volkswagen or look like a a Rolls Royce. Let me just tell you something. Those conversion kits didn't change what the Volkswagen already was. They just changed its outward appearance.
And when we have a sex change, that's all we're doing. You're trying to make a male look like a female, and everybody knows that ain't what a female looks like. It takes a transformation on the inside. But God will never change you from being a male to a female. God will only change you from being dead in sin to being alive in Christ. So the deepest need for anyone dealing with their sexual identity is the deepest need of every person on the planet. And that's for salvation in Jesus. Lastly, I'll leave you very quickly. Believers must continue with a passionate task. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest of all commands? He said in Matthew chapter 22, he said it this way. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Can I just challenge you today that those who are dealing with these issues are your neighbors. And we are called to love them, not to judge them or condemn them. So I'm borrowing from a preacher friend of mine these points of application. First thing is, is I think that we have to build bridges of friendship. We have to befriend people who are very different from us. Our friendships have to be unconditional in this sense. Can I challenge you to speak the truth in love? See, I can't speak the truth and people hear it if I'm angry. If I have a hatred toward people, I can love somebody and not condone what they do. Can I remind you that you may be the only one to tell them the truth? Respond with kindness. I can tell someone, hey, I'm concerned about this, but I can do it with kindness. I can treat people who I vehemently disagree with, I can still treat them with kindness. I don't have to make jokes. I don't have to embarrass them in public. I don't have to yell and spew my hatred. Share the gospel. The message of Jesus is good news for everybody, not just for people struggling with identity. And then lastly, I want to encourage you to pray. Because this is not really political or intellectual, even emotional. This is a spiritual battle. And can I share with you that prayer will break strongholds to where sometimes our words will not. C.S. Spurgeon said it this way. He said, if we cannot prevail with men for God, let's at least endeavor to prevail with God for men. See, God creates with a personal touch. He creates with a particular type. Sin causes a perverted tragedy. Jesus causes a powerful transformation, but yet we continue with the passionate task to love people in his name. Kim and those who would be singing, would you come? So today, if I was talking with someone, I don't know that I would go down the points that I've just listed. In real life, here's how it happens for me. 
I knew someone was struggling with homosexuality or gender confusion, I would say something like this. I love you deeply. Jesus loves you far more than I do. And Jesus died for you. And he had something so much better for you than this. But if you change and if you never change, I'm still going to love you, even though I disagree. Real transformation can only come when I come to Jesus. Would you stand with me? And let's pray. Father, I don't know how many may struggle in this room with what we've talked about, but I know we struggle with those who struggle. And Jesus, it's been the heart of my soul that we would have your view of people. That we would see people the way you see them so that we could love them the way you've loved them. So today, God, would you break our hearts for what you see when you see people to not see their sin, but to see their need for a Savior and to love them as such. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to pray, If you need to talk about anything, if you need this Jesus that we've even talked about today, we will be here to receive you. Let's sing and you come.